I don't think it's a question of do I go to an accelerator or not. I think it's a question of which accelerator do I go to, like which one is the best fit for me at my stage of business or idea more than anything. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the biggest benefits of joining an accelerator, how to run ads when you are in a heavily regulated industry like health and medicine, and how to pre-sell your products in person and online. Before our show, I wanted to chat about the storefront signage maker. It's an easy way for any brick and mortar shop owner to let your customers know that you are open, available for curbside pickup, delivery, online information, and more. Customize any message you like, automatically create a QR code for your store, then print it off from home. It's easy and simple to use, no design experience required. Create a sign yourself at shopify.com slash signage. Today I'm joined by Neela Idnani from Habit Aware. Habit Aware's keen smart bracelet uses gesture detection technology to bring awareness to debilitating and trance like hair pulling, skin picking, and nail biting, making their customers habit aware and allowing them to take control. Habit Aware was started in 2014 in Besa, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, Anila. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you and your your husband uh, co-invented the the first, the Keen One smart bracelet to solve a personal pain that you had. Can you tell us more about what motivated you and what led you to develop this this product? Yeah, I since childhood have uh, had a condition wherein I I pull out my hair. It's essentially a a coping mechanism. It's very trance-like. I didn't, didn't realize I was doing it. Um, and it provided, you know, it served a purpose of providing a sense of relief, a sense of self-soothing. And so I continued to do it as, as my go-to mechanism to sort of combat stress, anxiety, uh, nervousness, tiredness, boredom. And it just became something that I was also kind of ashamed of because, it to me felt a little weird um, that I was doing this to myself. And I didn't realize until my 20s that it was actually a mental health condition. But I still hid it for, for a really long time because of that shame that I had felt. And a couple of years ago, my husband, Samir, caught me without eyebrows. And we set out on a journey to simply, you know, hack nights and weekends with two other friends of ours who are now our co-founders, John and Kirk, to make something that would work for me. And then we re- when we realized that it was working. We said we have to take this to other people in the community who have not just hair pulling, but skin picking and nail biting behaviors that they want to get a hold of. Makes sense. So you had this problem. You knew that it existed. And I think you mentioned too, maybe in our pre-interview that this is a problem that is not just you know faced by you, faced by many others around the world. Did you go out and first look for a solution for, for this at first? Did you find anything? Yeah. uh, The first thing we did was honestly, our aha moment was I was sitting on the couch after my husband now knew that I had this condition and I was pulling out my eyebrows and he gently grabbed my hand. And that was the aha moment of, oh, if I just had something that notified me. So, of course, he took to the Internet, tried to find something because it was in the early days of Fitbits and Apple Watches and we thought, okay, something has to exist, but we couldn't find anything. So we said, okay, let's Let's give this a try. Let's see if we can make this. That was so yeah, that was the first thing was does this exist? And then when we realized it didn't exist, we said, Well, why not us? 
Makes sense. Now, what were the first steps? You mentioned that you and sound like there's four co-founders total working on this. You mentioned hacking nights and weekends. What was involved in the very early days of turning this thing into an actual product, at least enough for you to use yourself first? Yeah. So the very first thing was actually before diving into code or, you know, hardware, PCB manufacturing, we went to Michael's and we bought just these big jangly bracelets. And so the idea was, let's test this hypothesis of if I know that my hands are near my eyebrows, will I change my behavior? And so the idea was, as soon as my hands went up, these bracelets would jingle and jangle and sort of wake me up. And it was kind of working, you know, obviously, I'm a hand talker, and I type a lot for work. So I was working in the advertising industry at the time. So it was, they, you know, they were going off more than they needed to, but they were doing its job of alerting me. So that kind of gave us this confidence that, that, okay, if I'm aware, then yes, I can, I can take that moment of pause to choose something healthier. And then we moved to, okay, now can we build something technical? And that's where John and Kirk really came in as our technical co-founders to um, develop the, the smart bracelet, the algorithm and gesture detection, as well as the app, which um, Samir was kind of involved in like the math around the algorithm. And I was part of the app design process as well. Got it. So uh, a, a in terms of these kind of startups where it's a few people getting started, it's hardware and software, a pretty difficult combination, right, to start a brand new company. What was everyone's background that, that was involved in getting, getting this off the ground? Yeah, so myself, I have a background in advertising, um, graphic design. Um, I was working in client management and digital production, so really managing projects. John is a um, hardware engineering PhD Kirk is um, kind of been like a lifelong CTO. He, you know, like he always jokes that his first computer was built when he was in kindergarten, kind of thing. And Samir is um, kind of all over the map in terms of things that he can handle as an MBA, uh, hedge fund management, finance, um, as well as applied physics. So, kind of runs the gamut across everything that we do as as our CEO as well. So definitely a powerhouse of a team to start a, a company. Now these technical co-founders, uh, John and Kirk, how did you how did you guys link up with them? Yeah, you know we were we were lucky to be in Minneapolis, which has such a huge, vibrant, and um, supportive tech community. So we started going to meetups. I started making friends with the community. We we had moved here in 2011 uh, for work. And that was kind of just the way we said, oh, we're going to make friends. We're going to make friends with, you know, people who are like-minded. So we started going to tech meetups and just started making friends. And as we came up with this idea, I just started telling my friends, this is what I'd like to work on. Do you know anyone that can help? Or, And people just started kind of introducing us to other people, to events. And that's how we met John and Kirk. Yeah, it's certainly a, a um, kind of an obstacle for a lot of founders to get get over when they are building a technical product to find these technical co-founders or technical early employees. You mentioned you use tech meetups to find, to, to, to kind of get around and build your network. How do you know when there is a good fit when you are someone that is looking for a technical co-founder to join your team? Yeah, I think it's um, very important not, you know, it's very important to think about building these these business relationships in the same way that you would build a personal relationship, right? Like you wouldn't sign 
a marriage license with someone you just met. So in the same way, you shouldn't be signing like equity agreements. Um, it's really about, like I said before, hacking nights and weekends, seeing how you guys gel as a team, um, who's showing up, who's not showing up and just, just, you know, seeing, can, can we work together as a team? Can we create something that works? Can all of that plays a role and, and, gives insight into how you work as a team, right? And, and how well you work as a team. And, and that's kind of what we did throughout this entire process. We've just been continuously testing and iterating um, and just building, building our knowledge base, building our relationships until the point where it was like, okay, um, we were accepted into a hardware accelerator program in Shenzhen, China, which is the manufacturing capital of the world. And that was like the moment of, okay, it's, it's, it's now or never. We got to quit our day jobs. We got to go give this a shot. And all four of us by that point, having worked maybe about a year nights and weekends together, we're like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. We see this is promising. At that point, we had had some beta testers show interest and excitement that it was working for them. And, and we said, we have to at least try yeah, that's great that there was this this team wide commitment to to go all in, and when you do have a team of of four in your case with different areas of ex- expertise and knowledge, what have you learned through the years about how to make it all work together when there are different again areas of expertise? I'm sure there are differing opinions when in the you know last six years that you've been in business. How, what have you learned though about how to make this all work together? Yeah, I think one thing that's definitely important is we all had some sort of connection to the problem we were trying to solve, um, whether it was, you know, very, very personal for me, um, Samir seeing a loved one and our other, you know, both John and Kirk seeing people in their family that had similar conditions. And so I think that that passion and that drive always helped kind of, um, mitigate any, any, um, any tension that there might have been in the actual process of building this product, if that makes sense. Like ultimately it's all about the the customer that we're trying to serve and the problem that we're trying to solve for people. And so we try to just, as we're building, it's kind of a saving grace that we all kind of cover these different quadrants of um, the, the building, the development and the marketing process, right? So that we all are kind of experts in our fields in a sense, but then we all look to each other for input and insight and feedback to make sure that things are working correctly. And I think that's, I think that's actually been what's worked so well is that we take each other's opinions and, you know, we roll with them and we try to use that information to improve the product, knowing that our customer is, is, you know, that final kind of, idol that we we kind of keep in our mind of this is who it's all for. Mm, so deep down, everyone that was on the founding team had a shared purpose in that they wanted to help someone that they knew was suffering from this problem that the product could help solve. And also there's this kind of trust and openness to to getting this this kind of feedback. So I think that that's important because a lot of times people will hire people either as a part of uh, the founding team or hire them as early employees. Um, but just kind of take the box, not that you actually trust 
in the person that they have brought to the team. So I think that that's an important point that you brought up. Now, this um, this accelerator that you had uh, all been accepted into, you said about a year into uh, spending nights and weekends on the product. And what what's the how 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 real was the product at this time? By the time you spent a year into it and were packing your bags to to go to this accelerator. Yeah, we by that point we had actually gone to a uh, mental health nonprofit conference and had pre-sold about 50 units to people who had seen very rudimentary prototypes but were so excited by what they saw that they were ready and willing to say yes, I'll give you my credit card information in hopes that you ship this product to me. Um, you know, at a at a date that we couldn't even we couldn't even estimate at that point. Um, so when we got into hacks we told those 50 families we were, we were almost ready to ship to them. And we said, you know what, we want to go through this program because we want to make sure we're giving you the best product possible. And we told them that their, their product was going to be free because they were obviously going to have to wait much longer than they had anticipated. And everyone was on our side. They were all so excited. And, you know, these, these were people that we had now met in person. So we knew their names, we knew their faces, they knew us. And it was, you know, we, we call our customers keen family because that's, that's what it feels like. We go to this, this, uh, conference every year with the exception of this year, um, because of COVID and it's, it's like coming home. And so our goal is to just do right by our, our, our keen family. And that was kind of the moment of having these people backing us and supporting us on this journey was, was awesome to have. And that's kind of what kept us going. Got it. I like this, that, that you went to this mental health conference and tried to pre-sell it at that point. Can you tell us more about what the product looked like and what price point you were selling it at that point? How much of the end product was there at the time that you, you pre-sold it to, to them? Yeah, that initial bracelet was, honestly, it was a 3D printed casing and inside it was our microchip. And then it was just a watch strap that you can, you know, order off of Amazon's. So it was very, very, very much a prototype that we shared with them in person, put the bracelet on, let them train it for their behavior. They'd feel that vibration. Their eyes would light up and say, oh, my gosh, doctors were coming up to us saying we've been waiting for something like this. People were ready to take that home with them. And we're like, no, 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 no. This is this is 3D printed. Like, this is just a, a, a yeah. test, you know. Um, but they were so excited. And then that's, we kind of tried to iterate on that a little bit before we delivered. And then when we got into hacks, we realized, oh, we can make this a real product. And so the hacks process really got us connected into the manufacturing flow of both hardware and, um, and like the, the, the silicone strap that we created. So it all the ultimate product looks just like an activity tracker it's meant to blend in so you don't have to talk about these issues if you don't want to you can just say it's my activity tracker you know we call it the hug on the wrist that just reminds you of where your hands are so that you can take control and that was kind of the process of of um taking customer customer input throughout this whole process to make sure that we were putting out the product that that people wanted Got it. And a lot of entrepreneurs that have taken this approach that, you, that you've talked about, about pre-selling it at events or at conferences, always tell me that, that they always learn a ton 
about the the product in terms of what people liked, what they might not have realized people liked, or what they might not have realized needed to be changed, or even how they can speak about the product. Do you remember things that you might learn in the early days when trying to pre-sell the product that affected the direction of the the product development or the marketing of the product? Yeah, we received feedback on, um, you know, at that conference specifically, we actually had a few image options of what would you like this bracelet to look at and to look like rather. And, um, that was kind of how we landed on, okay, let's try to do something sort of discreet and sporty. Um, we tested pricing as well, uh, because it was such an early pre-order, early stage of pre-order those, that conference special was like $99 or something. Um, like very introductory pricing, uh, retail now on our site is 149. Uh, we learned a lot. We also, through the process of the development, uh, worked with doctors and clinical researchers in the space so that we were getting to create just like the correct user flow and user experience. And so taking input from them about, uh, how the app should, should interact with the bracelet and things like that was very helpful as well. Got it. So now at this uh, one-year mark, the accelerator that you all went and joined, so you actually had to fly to Shenzhen to to enter into the accelerator? Yep. Yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. We, we took our three-year-old son, I believe he was at the time, and found an English-speaking daycare, and we made it work. And, you know, we both wanted the experience of being out there and, and the education of being out there and and. It was just phenomenal. Uh, you know, they were, Hacks was an extension of our team in terms of marketing, graphic design, industrial design, mechanical engineering, and then the connections to uh, manufacturing partners was just invaluable. Yeah. Tell us more about this. Like, how long did this program last? Yeah. It was a three month program. Um, and through the process, it was basically, you know, kind of like a rushed, uh, uh, it was basically every 30 days, their goal was for us to have something new to show them from a marketing perspective, from a, a hardware and design perspective, like a product design perspective. So we were just hustling and moving really, really fast. Uh, but we were able to do that because we had their safety net, if you will. Like we had their team to support us in that in that endeavor of the industrial design of the bracelet, for example. So shifting from that 3D printed, you know, generic watch strap design to a beautifully designed smart bracelet, sporty looking, you know, just something that can easily be on a shelf at Best Buy kind of thing um, was because of their guidance. Got it. What were some of the, the biggest advantages of joining an accelerator? Like what, what can they give you an accelerator that is not as easily done on your own? Yeah. I mean, obviously one of, one of the things is, is funding. Um, but really it's, it's these, this extension of team, um, filling the gaps that we, we, we didn't have from an industrial design perspective, mechanical engineering, helping us get to manufacturing ready and the relationships that they helped us build and connect with people in China where we produce our product. Got it. Is there any reason why someone out there that is looking at an accelerator in their industry, why they might want to pause and think about whether it's the right decision or not? You know, 
I can't think of one. I feel like it's, it's, I don't think it's a question of do I go to an accelerator or not. I think it's a question of which accelerator do I go to, like which one is the best fit for me at my stage of business or idea more than anything. Uh, and, and knowing up front and trying to understand up front, like what is the value that that accelerator provides beyond just the funding? Because it's really the knowledge and the relationships, I think, that that really help. I mean, obviously funding is helpful because it helps you pay for all the prototyping and all of that other stuff. But if you don't have the the plan to, to do all of that other stuff, then the money in the bank doesn't really help. You know what I mean? So, and yeah, there are like good accelerators out there and there, there are not so great ones. So I think it's more so what's right for you. What gap are you as an entrepreneur need, what gap do you need to fill and try to find an accelerator program that helps fill that? Is that easily uh, discoverable from the outside when let's say, you know, that maybe you're, you aren't great logistics or, or, or manufacturing, like, is it easy to tell which, which accelerators are going to be the best fit to help you fill that gap? I feel like there are a lot of accelerators now in the U S and there are, they're usually pretty focused on, um, a particular vertical. Um, so I feel like it should be doable in terms of maybe if you're building something in hardware or if you're building something that's SaaS or if you're building something that's like uh, toy related. Like I feel like there's so many niche accelerator programs out there now and even regional, um, like looking in your own, you know, looking in your own backyard to see what what's available maybe through your, your government might have mini accelerator programs or co-working spaces might have programs. Um, there's also a lot of, of accelerator programs now dedicated to diverse background founders, um, to help encourage entrepreneurship, uh, for those, you know, folks of those walks of life. So there's, you know, especially I'm saying all this because I, I know and kind of see what's happening in Minneapolis with, uh, all you know some of these programs so my hope is that other cities are kind of following suit in that respect of, of supporting the community so does this uh you mentioned that that the biggest resources from joining the accelerator for you are that the, the knowledge and the relationships now once you you, you know you land you, you land in the, in the, on the other side of the world and you step foot into the, i guess the offices is that kind of knowledge and the relationships just handed to you once you get there or do you have to put in the work once you're there to kind of get as most out of it as you can Absolutely. I mean, just like our bracelet, you know, we, we help you build awareness of your hands, but what do you do with that awareness? That's your of taking stock of what's happening and learning to replace the behavior and doing that work. And it's the same thing with going to an accelerator or going to a day job or going to anything, right? You are going to get out of it what you put in. Um, and so it's absolutely you know, trying to figure out what are the right questions to ask these people who have seen company after company after company kind of go through their program, right? Like, um, it's, it's definitely about really looking within yourself and saying, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I know? What don't I know? What do I need to know? And trying to solve those things for yourself and also recognizing you don't have to have all the answers. You have to then that's sort of where you know where you need to build your team, you know? And so, yeah, an accelerator program is, they're going to give you access to 
people access to uh, partners and employees access to a you know workshop where you can you know cut and saw and all this other stuff but if you don't step foot in the door like you know all they can do is open the door you have to step through kind of thing hey real quick if you're enjoying the show please leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of now let's get back to the interview Got it. Yeah, you know, three months is not a lot of time. I'm sure it flew by. You had mentioned that it filled a lot of gaps for your business. So at the end of those three months, how do you transition out of an accelerator? Like, where did you end up? What did you end up leaving with at the end and, and you know, taking it kind of uh, off on your own, taking the, the training wheels off and now going off on your own? Yeah, the whole goal of the accelerator program um, is to culminate in a demo day, which also corresponds to a you know pre-order campaign if you will so it's it's your it's your it's your your launch essentially uh so you're you're working for these three months every moment of the day even probably in your sleep to get to this point of being able to turn on a website and say here is what we have built here is why we have built it come join our keen family um and, you know, and for that, that was a pre-order campaign. And we spent the next year wrapping up the actual manufacturing process before we were able to deliver. So that was our, our first Keen One deliveries actually started in 2017. And so now we've been in market um, for about three years. So it's been really mm-hmm. exciting yeah. to actually see the progress and the change that we've been able to empower in people's lives. Yeah, but... So what was involved in this this pre-order campaign? Like tell us more about during the, this this time of driving attention awareness, traffic to to pre-order pages. What was that like? Yeah, so what we did was we set up a pre-order site on our own website and we did Facebook advertising to essentially capture people's interest and email addresses so that we had kind of a database of um, I don't know, it's probably around, you know, three to 5,000 people ahead of the actual pre-order launch. And then we kind of just nurtured them for the, you know, we took them along a little bit on this journey at hacks of we're in China and here's what we're doing and sending them photos of prototypes. So they kind of got a feel for, um, what we were doing on the technology side, also sharing my story and things like that. So that then on launch day, you know, we could say, orders are open. And that's kind of how we got our initial set of orders, as well as doing more Facebook advertising to people, um, as well as working with a major nonprofit to help amplify what we were doing. Um, That nonprofit that I mentioned before at the mental health conference. So, you know, asking them to share our launch via email, um, which they did, which was obviously another way to to build awareness of the launch. So you mentioned though Facebook advertising and when it comes to the medical or health related field, targeted advertising is not often the easiest to 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 run to identify your target customers, you know, for privacy reasons. Any advice that you can offer out there for companies like yours that are in the kind of health and 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 uh, and kind of medical field to to work with online advertising? Yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit trickier because you can't obviously go straight for specific keywords, for example. But there's 
there's enough if you you know if you know enough about your consumer um, by building relationships with them through your email marketing or through your Instagram uh, messenger or seeing you know what else are they doing on Instagram kind of thing you can start to get a sense for their persona as a whole and start identifying your demographic and what else they could be interested in like for us you know if we're talking to people with skin picking, nail biting, and hair pulling um, behaviors, then we can kind of guess that, okay, they're probably interested in things like hair care, skin care, nail care as well, um, you know, and so kind of play around what else is going on in their mind, in their mindset that you can kind of, you can access through these uh, advertising platforms. Got it. So during that the first uh, that they're in a pre-order phase with the online advertising with Facebook advertising, you're driving them to like a pre-order page. And what was the 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 the, the I guess the the, conver- the conversion event for for that kind of campaign? Yeah, that was driving to a pre-order page. We took um, credit card information, delivery information, and then again kept them through our emails, kept them going, kept them on our journey of development so that they knew where we were. Um, you know, they knew the hurdles we were facing. They knew the, the challenges, but they also knew the, the celebration moments as well. Mm. Now, when you first brought them to the pre-order page, did you know at that point when you would be able to fulfill the orders? We had a good inclination that of when we were going to, to ship. Um, but, you know, you cannot control everything. And unfortunately, that year, there were a few typhoons in the cities where our manufacturing partners were. And that pushed out, obviously, uh, rightly so, pushed out their manufacturing schedules, which then pushed into uh, Chinese New Year, which essentially China shuts down for a good month or so. And so, you know, no matter how much planning you do, you can't control everything. So that's, that's why it's important to take your customer on, on your, the journey with you so that if you tell them we're going to ship by this date and you don't talk to them until that date. And on that date, you have to say, Oh, actually we're not shipping that day. They're going to be so mad. Right. But if you take them on this journey and ahead of that date, say, Hey, this is what's just happened. We didn't know that we, you know, we could not predict this. We're very sorry. Um, here's our new game plan of how we're going to make this right for you. You know, um, you get less upset people, you get more people cheering you on and saying, thank you so much for keeping us in the loop and we can't wait. And, um, you know, I think it's just important as a business to just remember that you're still human and they're still human. And to, to keep that, that sense of humanity as you, as you try to sell a product. Right. I think, I think we've kind of lost that a little bit in our our world of of e-commerce to be honest, right? Like you click a button and you're you expect something to be delivered in in 24 hours and you forget that there's actually people behind all of that. Um and so that's part of my MO is to make sure that people remember 
there's people behind it all that. Mm, makes sense. So you you've pre, you've done these pre-orders, pre-selling in person at these events. You've done pre-order campaigns online. What advice do you have for people that are pre-selling or taking pre-orders for a product that that's not complete yet, that's not that's not ready to be fulfilled immediately yet? How do you? What advice do you have for them to help them sell and have a successful pre-order campaign? But then also, you know, balance this fine line of not overpromising. Yeah, I think it's always. I think one thing to remember is you know what you want and what you expect out of your product, but your customer may not, right? So in to, to your point of overpromising, don't overpromise because then that puts you that locks you in a corner, right? So it's probably better to underpromise and overdeliver. And that way you really keep your customer engaged and excited and happy and thankful that oh you went above and beyond. Um, and really, I think it really is all about this journey of taking people on a journey with you. I think people want to be a part of something. They want to feel a connection. And if you can do that and tell a story, uh, and not just your story, but their story, right. Of, of how your, how your hard work now is going to pay off for them later and help them with whatever your product is, is helping them solve, whether it's bringing them a moment of joy or, you know, helping them build awareness of their hands, like whatever it is, you're making this product because it does something for someone, right? It solves some sort of problem for them. And I think as, as long as you, you keep that connection, you'll have, you'll be building such a loyal customer base that even when things do go wrong, they're cheering you on and they're, jumping on social media when they see someone say something negative they say oh no you should actually talk to the founder like they helped me blah 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 kind of thing where they become your advocates mm-hmm. yeah the, an important element in all this like you had mentioned in, in pre-order and pre-selling success is to keep them in a loop and you're mentioning taking them on this journey what does that what does that mean exactly what kind of things are you emailing them how frequently are you keeping in touch with them like give us the, the, the level of kind of um, communication that you are you're doing during this phase? Yeah, so I have been doing for the last three years what I call Wear Your Awareness Wednesday. So I put out one newsletter a week. That's it. Um, so I also don't want to clog people's inboxes. And then, you know, on social media, we're a little bit more active where we'll jump into conversations with people and, and offer encouragement and, you know, nurture our own channel as well. Um, but you know, for example, this Wednesday, like my emails are not always here's keen by now, right? Like this Wednesday's email was literally, I just want to check in on you. Like 2020 has been crazy. (laughs) And I just want to check in to see how, how you're doing. And here's the two things that are working for me. And, you know, I don't expect everyone to write back to me, but I got three to five emails back saying, thank you thank you for checking in because it's been hard and, you know, went back and forth with a few of those people and that's it. And that's, that's it. Like, I think that's all you got to do is to, to connect is just be honest and be truthful of what's happening and show, you know, show that you are human, show that you are imperfect to build that connection. 
Makes sense. And one of the things that you had mentioned to us that has helped you communicate better with your with your customers is this uh, post purchase questionnaire that you guys started doing. Tell us more about that. What, what what's involved in this post purchase questionnaire? Yeah. So what we use is we actually use the Grapevine Shopify app integration, and we just ask one question post purchase, which is just how did you hear about Keen? Um, because that that's like one of the biggest things is how are people finding out about us? You know, we do Facebook advertising, we do Google advertising, and it's still interesting to know, uh, that word of mouth is, is still primarily, you know, one of our methods of people finding us as well as I did a TEDx talk in, um, in 2019, which seems to still, you know, people are finding that and then finding us. So it's always good to know where people are are finding you from, because then, then, you know, oh, if it's Google ads, okay, then as a business owner, you know, I should be pumping more ads out or more, you know, putting more dollars behind that. Or if it's things like the TEDx, for example, well, maybe I should run ads linking straight to the TEDx, you know, things like that. So that, um, people are, are seeing it in other places other than just, you know, finding it through a, a search on YouTube, if you will. I like this approach because, you know, attribution through advertising platforms is, you know, far from perfect. So why not just ask the customer directly where they, they heard from you or how they found out about you? So once you have learned things like, you know, your, your TEDx talk, like these kind of content pieces that are not directly marketing pieces are places where people are finding you. Has that led to any actions that, that you either have taken or want to take now when you have this, this new knowledge? Yeah. I mean, for example, you know, with the TEDx, we're running, like I said, an ad similar to that. And then um, with the word of mouth, we're looking to see, okay, well, how can we nurture our teen family to, you know, as I, as I said at the very beginning, people feel a lot of shame for these conditions. They don't want to talk about them. They're willing to talk about them in online groups that are kind of closed and safe and everyone's sort of in it together, if you will. Um and so how can we encourage them to, to share us beyond that? Right. Or, uh, and so that's kind of our next question mark that we're looking at after actually right now we're working to launch keen Two, And then my next thing is, okay, how do we nurture this word of mouth? How do we, um, build loyalty and, and how do we nurture our, our most loyal keen family to try to encourage them to share us more? Makes sense. Now, you are now in the middle of uh, Keen uh, 2, and by the time this episode airs, I'm sure people can go out and purchase it at that point. So tell us more about what's going on during this phase of a, a essentially a version 2 of your product. Yeah, so in 2018, we received a research grant from the NIH to um, improve our algorithm and to digitize some evidence-based treatments for these conditions. And so we are putting out launching Keen 2, which allows our gesture detection to just be more refined, as well as a completely new mobile app that um, really helps a person through this behavior change process. And our plan is to launch very soon. We've been sharing out and seeding it on social media. We've been mentioning it on our newsletters. So people kind of know Keen 2 is coming and one, you know, we'll be introducing it and asking people again to pre-order. 
um, with intention of shipping in early 2020, sorry, in early 2021, um, to just build excitement for it and start explaining how it works with, through, uh, graphical elements, through video elements, through different blog posts, which we'll be creating so that people really understand what we've changed about the product, what's different about it, what's improved, uh, and why it's the right thing for them if they're ready to get on this journey to awareness and, 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 you know, change their life. Hmm. Now, one thing that you had mentioned to me too, during this, this, uh, phase of you building this company was in regards to being a people pleaser and a perfectionist. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there can relate to this. And you said the biggest hurdle for you is around fundraising and then the ability to kind of move past the no's and the, the endless no's and endless, you know, quote unquote failures that you will run into as, as an entrepreneur and rather than chasing after those no's, taking a different approach. So tell us more about that. Tell us more about the kind of different mindset that you have about uh, approaching the no's. Yeah, I think it's important to to decide where you want to spend your energy. And it's some, something of a of a reminder that I have to remind myself of often, like, you know, seeing a review on social media or something where someone says, Oh, it didn't work for me. Too many false alarms, for example. And then, but then, you know, getting an email saying my child has a complete full head of hair. So it's like, I know it works. You know, we know it works. We can see it work. Um, we offer free video training calls to help people with their false alarms and things like that. And with the new Keen 2, like I, I'm pretty confident that the new algorithm is going to mitigate all of that. Um, but just kind of remembering that, yeah, you can't please everyone. And also remembering that sometimes what someone is saying is not it, – it's what someone's saying is their reality, but not necessarily your reality. So like I just said, like someone may say, oh, it didn't work for me, and I can look – to the right and see someone else just say it did work for me. So it's the same product, but two different realities. Right. And so recognizing that and recognizing that, um, different people have, are willing to put different amounts of efforts in same for investors, right? They're willing to put different amounts of, of effort or dollars or no dollars. And you kind of just have to trust as well that that no is actually a blessing, <laughs> if you will. Um, that, you know, the right people are going to, in a sense, I mean, I truly believe that, that are going to be guided to you or you're going to be guided to them, uh, to help you fulfill whatever your kind of, uh, I don't want to say purpose cause it seems a little cheesy, but, but you know, what your goal, if you will, um, and so, yeah, the no's are really hard, especially personally in Minneapolis when it's people, it's angel investors that you see at events that either they're hosting or you're speaking on. And then at the end of the day, they're like, oh, no, we're, we're not, which is fine. It's good. Everyone's got their own kind of MO. And for us, you know, we found that by focusing on the investors and the customers that are for us, that are gung ho from the beginning, our energy is like, it doesn't get sucked out of you. It, it almost gets exponential. If that makes sense. Mm, that makes sense. Like basically 
instead of trying to push up, push against the the current, try to find the, where the currents are going, the direction that 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 you already want to go down. I think that makes a ton of sense. Now I want to talk a little bit about the, the website. You had mentioned that you're using Grapevine to the integration for these post-purchase questionnaires. You also had mentioned to us um, during a pre-interview about how you're working with uh, developers to to work on the site. Can you tell us more about the kind of enhancements or changes that you're you're making to your website? Yeah. So with Shopify, you know, we're using a, a template that I purchased probably ages ago. Um, and so, you know, kind of grandfathered in, not ready to change. Um, and it's Shopify itself is pretty intuitive to use. There's just minor things that you always want to tweak and make slightly better. But if you don't know code, it's a little bit trickier. I know some minor HTML so I can get by, but um, at some point you need to bring in people who are true Shopify experts to help just make the site feel more credible, more, um, you know, more, more responsive, especially the, the desktop to mobile. Like, you know, I'm sitting on a computer all day long and designing the website and it looks wonderful. And then I go to mobile and I'm like, ah, why is this breaking? And so, yeah, I think it's always helpful to, once you get to a certain point, um, to recognize that just those little changes are going to help someone new coming to the site feel like, okay, this, this company is legitimate. These people are legitimate. I'm going to, this product is legitimate. I'm ready to make that purchase. Awesome. So thank you, Nilo. So habitaware.com is a website. I'll leave you this last question. Uh, wearable technology, as you had mentioned, has really started booming in the last five to 10 years uh, during the time that you've launched uh, your business. What opportunities, do you, what opportunities do you see in this space moving forward for anyone else out there that might be interested in this space? Yeah, I think wearables is really interesting for us. The way I see it is if you are trying to help a particular community solve a, a burning problem, uh, then I truly believe that a single-purpose device that's just meant for that problem is the way to go because then that product is truly built for that community and with that community, hopefully. Um, so that's kind of where I see things going. I feel like right now there's a lot of you know Swiss Army knives of wearables, if you will. Um, but I think if it's a very specific issue, then I think the wearable should be built for that issue rather than trying to shoehorn something into something that already exists. Um, but I don't know, I could be wrong. (laughs) And I also think it's, it's not about, you know, just the bracelet. I think it's really about going back to the drawing board and better understanding the, the people with the people, the problem, and the lifestyle so that you're building the correct thing, um, the correct product. It may not be a wearable. It may be something completely different. It may be, you know, something that sits on a desk or it may be um, something that's a mobile app type type product. You know, it all depends on all these other factors. And so I think it's really important before you start coming up with a product idea to really understand the problem you're trying to solve. 
I like the way you put that. Awesome. Thank you so much again for your time, Anila. Yeah, thank you very much. This was really fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.